Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession in life to teach you how to be more productive in our distracted world. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for my free seven-day productivity challenge. Give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you strategies on how to be a more productive version of yourself. Just go to my website site, mrproductivity.com. That's Mr. All spelled out, mrproductivity.com. Today on the show, Lauren Polly. She's a speaker, life coach, and multi-award-winning author of The Other Side of Bipolar. Her mission in life is to help others thrive beyond their labels, reclaim their innate gifts, and blaze a unique trail in the world. Now, before we get started with the show, I wanted to tell you that there were some technical glitches with the audio. I did the best I can uh, as I could to fix them, but this episode is spot on awesome. So enjoy it. Lauren, what is up? Hello there, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful today. I'm happy to be on here having this conversation with you. Yeah, we're going to try this a second time. We were just recording about five minutes ago, and all of a sudden, Lauren disappeared. So I don't know what happened to Lauren, but I said, let's try this again. So take two. So welcome back to the show. You're you're my first repeat guest in the same day. <laughs> my, my listeners know that this is a laid back podcast. I like to have fun because I don't do boredom very well. And obviously you don't either because you have a good sense of humor. So let's just pick it up where we left off, but we'll start at the beginning. So the listener don't have to wonder what we're talking about. Don't listen. Listen to my, listen to my language. My English teacher would be so upset at me. So tell us in about 60 seconds about who you are. Who is Lauren Polly and what in the world do you do for, for a living? Uh, by trade, I'm a speech language pathologist. I've worked in the hospital for about 15 years, and I am the team manager of the department. I am also a life coach, and I'm the multi-award-winning author of The Other Side of Bipolar, which is a beautiful book. It's a memoir slash self-help book looking at mental illness from a different perspective. And one of my pet loves is being able to take away the stigma that comes with it, which is why I'm so enthusiastic to have these kind of conversations. And I love talking about mental illness, mental health, really, and bridging the gap between kind of the isolatory way we look at it, like it's just in the therapist's office. Uh, and basically how it bridges into your life, your day-to-day, either the work environment, the home environment, and how to create a life that actually works for you. Let's talk about the stigma because, you know, I'm so thrilled, not in a sadistic way, but I'm so thrilled that (laughs) mental illness is now to the forefront. Mental illness has always been around. We just talk about a lot more on podcasts, on social media and whatnot. So I'm glad it's getting the attention it deserves. But there's a lot of people out there who look at people who have mental illness as like lazy, incompetent, stupid. And be honest with you, I didn't know anything about mental illness until my grandmother died of Alzheimer's. My mother has Alzheimer's now. And so I'm very cognizant of mental illness. Alzheimer's just one slice of mental illness. There's, there's a lot more. You probably know more about mental illness than I do. But let's talk a little bit about the stigma that people who are suffering from mental illness deal with in the work in the workplace and at home and in, and in public and overall. Yeah, I think it's it's just systemic at this point. And I think it comes this long history, basically, where it was a no-no. And it's fascinating. I mean, just look the last time you had a physical ailment. Whenever you share that you have cancer or you 
something physical going on with your body, typically you're met with empathy and sympathy and a wide, wide open arms. And for some reason, when you share that you have mental issues, uh, you're not met with the same thing. There's not really the empathy. It's more of a fear factor that comes up in people. They get uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to help you. Uh, and a lot of times it's looked at some sort of uh, almost kind of a personal, a personal uh, break in your system that either you're weak, you're vulnerable, or you don't really have, you know, two sticks to rub together, so to speak. So I think there's so many stigmas that come with that, that there's something broken about you, as opposed to really looking at the truth of the matter where you're just different. You process information differently, you process emotions differently, and you may be highly aware of your environment. Um, so I think it's a fascinating thing to kind of look at what the root kind of the root cause of this is, I think it's the mentation that something's broken about you, but also the fact that people don't talk about it. And when you don't know a lot about something, you're more likely to judge it. You're mo more likely to fear it. And so when you do meet somebody who's got a mental issue, a mental health issue, uh, it kind of brings up that same fear response in you. You're not quite sure what to do with them, you know? Mm. Yeah. And you know, I only have the experience dealing with Alzheimer's uh, people, my grandmother, and my mom, and because I'm their only child, one of the things I got a chance to do is talk to my mom's neuropsychologist. And as my listeners know, I run every day and I've been doing it for since August 29th, 2017. And I asked him, I said, you know, I read this article on runnersworld.com and he goes, I'll stop you right there. You're going to ask me if mm -hmm. you run every day and if you eat better, will you never get Alzheimer's disease? I'm like, wow, a mind reader. Incredible. I didn't know you had that skill in you, doctor. And he goes, <laughs> The answer is yes and no. The likelihood, if you take care of yourself, in other words, you, you're staying active, you're doing, you're reading puzzles, learning language, whatever, you're eating better, you may never get Alzheimer's. Of course, there's no guarantee. But when I reflect back on my grandmother and my mom, you know, they never exercised. My mom did the week of jazzercise back in the 80s, but they never, because back then, if you weren't an athlete, you didn't exercise. And the point I'm, I want to share with people that is, is there are things you can do that even if it runs in your family, you don't have to give up and say, well, what was me? I'm doomed. No, do your research like on this podcast or go to the library, get a book or whatever and educate yourself. What can you do now? If you've already got Alzheimer's, there's no cure for it, but if you don't have it, it runs in your family. Maybe you figure out, maybe if I eat better, maybe if I start exercising, you know, whatever it is, I think so many people are just, well, what was me? Kind of like the Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. They just give up. And I, I don't want people to do that. I want people to know that while there's no guarantee, there is a chance that you can change your lifestyle and maybe prevent the onset of any kind of mental illness if you're willing to be proactive about it. But the reactivity, I don't think is going to solve any issues. Well, the reactivity and the loss of hope, absolutely. You know what I mean? I think there's there's really a need for patient accountability and self-accountability when we have these conversations. Uh, I think it's just our culture where we just want to pop a pill and be done with it. You know what I mean? Um, instead of actually doing the harder work of losing weight or taking care of yourself. Uh, one thing, though, with this, too, the mental illness conversation, I mean, there's a wide variety of issues, and some of them are more chemically by biologically based and some of them are more uh, kind of environmentally based if there's an upset in your life or you're dealing with something that's really hard brought on by trauma. So there's a huge wide variety. And I think 
for me, one of my pet peeves and one thing that I notice with all these conversations I've been having is there people to kind of find an X to Y equals Z equation for this. Um, the holistic people say, oh, you should just like eat better and you should be fine. The system says you have to just take medicine and you'll be fine. No one really looks at the variability between the individuals and using all of that to be able to feel good about yourself and get productive in your own life. So I think that's one of the bigger issues here is trying to pinpoint mental illness as just one thing when really the individual person and where they find themselves in their life at that given moment. And even if you don't have a mental illness or a mental diagnosis, this is really just about how are you feeling in every moment and how are you able to interact and engage with the elements of your life? Um, and that's something that we all struggle with from time to time, you know? So let's talk about self-awareness because you've already talked about self-awareness. You talked about self-care. Go a little deeper on that. Why is that so important? Oh, goodness. I think for me, self-awareness is like the best self-care tool out there. And so many people talk about self-care like the bubble baths and the yoga and the meditation, all of which I do and I love, by the way. Um, but it's not like the end-all be-all. If you can actually have self-awareness about how your brain works how you process information around you, what your triggers are in terms of stress response and kind of like losing it, quote unquote. I mean, we all have those moments where their like final straw hits the haystack and we lose it. As long as you're able to have awareness about how you function and then extend that awareness to how the environment, the ecosystem that you find yourself in, how you're reacting to everything there, you're in a power position. You're in a position to have a little bit more control over what you choose. And you go into more consciousness. You have eyes wide open and you're more present with what happens. Uh, so a lot of very esoteric. It doesn't have to be. At the hospital that I manage, we have these conversations all the time with my staff members. You know, where are you? triggers? How do you respond when you're under stress? What's the thing that can de-escalate and release that stress for you? And because we have preventative partial of how we go about the day to day, when anything pops up, they know how to handle it. So for me, I just think it's such an important thing, maybe not this conversation or look for yourself, but from the get-go, where are you? What are you aware of? And how are you engaging with things in your life? Hmm. I think that's really important. I really love how you, you used the word earlier, uh, patient and self accountability. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we go through life and we get absorbed in the social media. We get absorbed in TV or whatever. And it's almost like, okay, we know we have something going on, but we're like, uh, I'll just go get lost in something instead of confronting the issue, whether it's mental illness or cancer or something else, because ignoring any problem doesn't make it go away. It's it's not going to go away. And I'm the type of person, I'm like, okay, just if I've got something bad, tell me. Just rip the bandage off. Tell me you've got X. Okay. Don't beat around the bush. Don't go from Houston to Miami by way of Australia and France. Let's go. Let's take a di direct route. Now, I know some people, they they fear hearing that diagnosis. They They fear... Well, if I don't know, it's kind of like the kid. Remember the younger kids that they cover your eyes and cover their ears. Okay. I, I, I yeah. it doesn't, you can't see me. I don't hear anything, but it, it's still real. I mean, 
just because you didn't see the speed limit sign doesn't mean you weren't speeding. Not saying I've ever done that before, but just an analogy. But the point is, it really, we need to talk about it. And I'm so glad here in 2020, we're starting to talk about it more and more. Because when you start talking about it, then people can say, you know what? I've got a resource or I have someone that can help you. But if you try to internalize it, it's a struggle. I'll give you a prime example. My father is 78 years old. My mom, who has Alzheimer's, late on onset Alzheimer's, is 74. My dad's 78. My mom's 74. My dad is a full-time caregiver. Now, he's a trained machinist and a trained firefighter. Now, one of my good friends I met on LinkedIn told me she's also a speech pathologist. She told me that the rate um, of full-time caregivers over the age of 70 who caregive over six months, the likelihood of them suffering a catastrophic illness or death is really high. My dad's been doing it for nearly two years. And so my dad's stubborn as a mule trying to get him to get help. You need to get people in the house who can help you because you're not a trained caregiver, but he's stubborn. And I try to talk to him and say, dad, you, you need help. Okay. You can't do this. I know you love mom and I, they've been married 56 years and I know it's gotta be difficult for him to look at mom and, well, that's my wife at 56 years, only she's probably about a five-year-old in her mind, but she's not a five-year-old in 2020. She's a five-year-old like back in 1950. And my dad's really struggling with this. And he's trying to, my dad's one of these people, oh, I can fix anything. Well, no, he can't fix this. And I think that's where he's struggling with because he doesn't want to talk to anybody about it. He's very like keeping internal, which isn't solving anything for him. Well, I'm happy you brought up the whole caregiver role because one of the well, one of the conversation that was an offshoot of my book, which quite frankly surprised me, wasn't just talking to people who've been through it or professionals who are looking for more tools, but it was from family members who are dealing with somebody in the family that are that's struggling. And caregivers, even if you expand the definition, like you're not physically taking care of somebody, you're not mentally taking care of someone, but you're in a caregiver profession. You're a healer, you're a teacher, you're a healthcare worker. Even if you're in the business world and you're caregiving a team or a business idea, it's fascinating to me to really see how often we don't put ourselves in the primary role of taking care of us first. And the thing that we're supposed to be taking care of actually gets top billing all the time. So our bodies don't get the care and attention they deserve. Our own mental health and how, again, we're processing all of the information and responding to the triggers around us doesn't get top billing either. And it's so easy to do because if your business is yelling at you or you've got somebody who's sick that you're taking care of or you're a teacher who's got a classroom of kids, it's so easy to put all the focus out all of the energy out on them because it's louder and it's something that you feel like you have to deal with as opposed to really including yourself first and foremost in that care. Um, I always love to say, what if your caregiving could be from the overflow of your already full tank? And most of us don't do that. We want to feed we're taking care of constantly, and then we deplete ourselves in the process. Uh, so there's a whole dynamic that really needs to go with this mental health caregiver conversation. You can't put yourself second. You have to take care of you first and foremost, you know? I want to get really practical here. I want to make sure that the listener gets some solid strategies they can use. So let's answer the question, what can we do? Let's start out 
with business because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are in the business, the corporate environment. So what can people do? Let's look at it from two perspectives. From the perspective of the leader, that's a supervisor, team lead, manager, VP, doesn't matter. What can the leader do and what can fellow coworkers who have to deal with someone with a mental illness? So let's talk about both those avenues before we get to the uh, outside the business world. Cool. So for the leader, what I would recommend for your own mental health is to make sure that you have time for yourself. You close the door to your office. (laughs) (laughs) You have a nice, lovely do not disturb sign on your door. One thing I found with the leaders is they're constantly getting interrupted with everybody else uh, pulling at them constantly so they can never really get the work that they have on their plate finished. Making sure that you're able to actually empower your staff enough so that they have enough information that they can self-advocate and also self-problem solve things that are going on and they don't need to pull at you constantly. Uh, That for yourself will hopefully give you a little bit more space and mental flexibility to handle the day. Uh, For colleagues who have other people in the environment that are going through it, really harnessing the power of empathy. And empathy, I want to be really clear, does not mean that people who are struggling get a free pass because unfortunately you'll find people who um, kind of use it as an excuse not to do their fair share of work. And Mm. that's a huge issue that a lot of companies have. Someone's struggling and all of the work gets placed on other people. They're now doing the job of a person and a half. And before you know it, they get burnt out. Uh, So again, the more empathy you can have towards that person, but also transparency into, cool, this is the stuff we have to get done. Let's look at how that has to be structured while you're getting your feet underneath you. Or perhaps for you to take some time off. I think so many of us are really um, shy to take these practical steps of getting really present. What's going on right now in my life? Does that work for the job that I'm in? And if not, what conversation and with who can I have that to actually start reworking and reorganizing things? Um, So the empathy, I think, for everybody is really important. But again, have that for yourself, again, that caregiver that you're not taking care of them and having to take on their role for them. Maybe there needs to be a bit more reorganization, but you got to be careful not to burn yourself out too in the process. Yeah, I think one of the things I I think people need to do is realize that mental illness is real. Uh, It's not contagious. So if you work with someone who's going through any kind of mental illness, by you being a friend, by you being empathetic to them, you're not going to catch it. So I think a lot of people may think it's like the flu. It's not the flu. And people need to know that you care for them, that you're not judging them. And sometimes that may be you just go to lunch with them or you say hello to them. And it can, I think it's little things. I think people are looking for this ginormous thing, but sometimes it's just like not shunning them or acknowledging them, acknowledging them in the meeting. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, really treating people like they're no different than you. <laughs> I think is the big thing, you know, um, and from going through it myself and having people kind of uh, pull away as soon as they found out my diagnosis. I know that firsthand it's subtle, but it's so painful when people do that. Um, so including somebody. And again, one of the ways you make them no different is to not shuck their own responsibilities. And um, I would definitely say Two, just keep in mind, know your own limit. So if you are that friend, that shoulder to cry on for that person, that's an amazing gift that you're giving. But just know whenever their stress starts to become yours and you start to notice it impacting you personally, 
um, or things are coming up that you don't know how to handle, that's the time to actually encourage them to go see a professional or somebody else. Uh, mm. So being empathetic, including them, don't see them as anything different. And during that process, just know your own personal limits of what you can take on and what kind of interaction would be healthy for both of you. I love it. Okay, so let's leave the corporate environment. Let's go home. Let's talk about whether home is our family members, whether it's a spouse or a child, or maybe our friends we go to church with or we go play golf, whatever the case may be. So I don't know how you want to tackle these, but I'll let you steal the ship here. So this is um, this is a heavier conversation, I would say, just because, you know, and think about this for yourself and not even like a mental illness thing. But where do you normally spew if you're a bit angry? Friends. You know, if you're a little down yeah. in the dumps, where do you normally dump it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> You know, who gets who gets the short responses from you when your temper's a little short? Typically, this is more family stuff, right? Yep. We put on our best behavior when we're at work. We're getting paid. We kind of have to do that. Uh, when we get home, because you're more comfortable with the person, for some reason, we think it's okay for that to be like the outlet. Um, so it's kind of fascinating to, again, look at it like an ecosystem. So, And I love using this example when I speak at corporations on mental health. We talk a lot about the different ecosystems that we're in. Within an ecosystem, every person has their role. And the health of that ecosystem really comes not just on the individual's health, but how they're actually engaging and interacting with each other. So if you're at home with someone who is struggling currently... And it's very tough, and I understand it. Uh, to be able to have, again, more transparency and empathy, those are great beginning steps, having those conversations and not shying away from the difficult conversations. If you are getting snapped at, if you're having a hard time, if they're violent outbursts, things like that, uh, it's really important to have those kind of structured conversations with your loved ones so that the ecosystem of your home is actually something that's healthy and safe for everybody. Everybody. And sometimes those conversations are really hard to have in the heat of the moment. If you can structure or schedule a time to sit down, or if that's something where you need to do it with a coach, a mentor, a licensed professional, what have you, just to give you some safe boundaries. Um, again, we've all heard the kind of those old therapy techniques of always put things in an I statement. So you're not um, kind of putting people on the defensive, because when you confront people, that's all that usually happens is they get quite defensive. They have no choice but to defend themselves. So instead, just speaking to, you know what, I've noticed lately, because of your moods or whatever, I'm starting to notice X, Y, and Z in my own space, and it's not really working for me. Uh, this doesn't have to be huge things, like Mark was saying, even just breaking it down to simple steps of, I need a little bit more alone time, or I need a little bit of quiet time looking to see how you can restructure some things. Having empathy doesn't mean that people in your life get a free pass to treat you poorly. You have to look at while supporting you in the process. Now, I will interject here that you also, if you're dealing with someone at home who has like mental illness really bad, you have to, and this is where my father's struggling, you have to understand they are probably not on your same level. So my dad is 78 and he's talking to a five-year-old. And when my dad tries to tell my mom, like you're getting in my way in the kitchen, what I learned from other healthcare professionals, which you have to tell mom is you talk to her like a five-year-old, go sit in the couch. 
Don't, and I want to put, I want to, and just for clarification, you're talking about Alzheimer's, which is super different than somebody with anxiety or depression oh, gotcha. or something okay. like that. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to, yes. I send to go off on these, t- these the tangents. So thank you for bringing me back uh, to reality. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's important because something with Alzheimer's, that's a totally different shift you have to make in their mind. If they're five and work with this population all the time, you have to meet them where they are. The thing is with a mental illness, you have to meet the, that person where they are as well. Uh, don't condescend to them. That's going to flare them like nobody's business. You know what I mean? But if they're a little bit hot under the collar right now, you need to temper that. How can you actually work with them so that that anger gets diffused? And a lot of times that's a very calm voice. It's a lot of space. Sometimes it's leaving the situation until there's a time where both of you have de-escalated and then can come back together. Uh, there's different techniques that you can use that hopefully will, again, not just help you end them, but also your relationship as a whole. Yeah. I Again, I apologize, listener, for going off on one of my tangents because the only experience I have right now was my mom's Alzheimer's. So I, I but I know that's not the only mental illness out there. It's certainly there are people who have, uh, you know, uh, anxiety issues or what have you. And it's all classified under mental illness. But I love what you said. You need to meet them where they are. And you know, I used to many in another lifetime ago, many years ago, I used to work in customer service. You know, I think we all worked in retail at some point in our life. And when someone's irate, the best thing you do is close your mouth and just listen and not say anything. But what we tend to like to do is as someone's yelling at us, we like to yell back at them, but that solves nothing. Whether you have mental illness or not, sometimes one of the parties has to say, okay, I'll let you finish. I'll listen to you. And I think the same applies to this situation. If someone's really causing you anxiety or you're causing them anxiety, you need to stop and you say, okay, this is getting nowhere. Let's take a break. Maybe go for a walk or whatever. Uh, but I think trying to keep on solving a situation when the anger is getting and the frustration, the overwhelm is getting greater and greater, the chances of you coming to a conclusion, a successful, mutually beneficial conclusion is getting smaller and smaller. But I think it takes a strong person to say, okay, we need to take a time out here. Well, and I think you just said something really brilliant. You were talking about wanting to solve it. Wow, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're like shocking, but that's that's amazing. something amazing. You were talking about wanting to fix the problem. And I think that's a huge perspective shift that all of us could take right now. If you mental health in any capacity, especially a bigger issue like mental illness, you have to know that some issues, some problems actually aren't solvable. Emotive. There isn't a logic behind it. Sometimes people who are dealing with the chemical ups and downs, there's going to be no logic behind how they feel or even how they situation. So sometimes trying to come at it from a problem solving angle, it's not going to get you anywhere. You're going to be like banging your head against a wall. So it's really important to listen, to allow the person to release and de-escalate. And then from there, sometimes it's not, well, let's talk about it. Let's go, okay, cool. That's finished. Let's move on. And I think the more you can get used to really being aware of what can be solved and what needs like a practical change and what is just someone's unique perspective on the situation and whatever they need just to be able to express it, to get it out and then to move on. That might help even out and level out some of these conversations. You can't always expect that there's going to be a practical aspect to it because a lot of times there isn't. 
I, I agree. And, you know, you've given us so much to think about on the show today. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you if there's anything that you wanted to share on the show that we didn't touch on that you really want. It's, it's on your heart that you want to let us know before we uh, wrap up the show. Well, one of my favorite things to talk about is that difference doesn't make you wrong. Mm. Difference actually makes you brilliant. And we're all different in our own ways. And so when you run across somebody who may be quote unquote struggling or who just has a different social manner than you do or has a way that their brain works different than you or who has a diagnosis that automatically sets them apart as being different from you, what if you could actually take the perspective of I wonder what unique awareness and gift they can have to my life and my environment? Uh, So often when you've been diagnosed or you've been labeled as different, you're looked at less than. And I think that's, again, where a lot of the stigma comes from, but it really changes the boundaries of our relationships and how we engage. Uh, It's really important to be able to actually go, okay, they're different, but different actually means they could be great at different things than I am. And if you're willing to play with people on that level, regardless of what they're going through, you're going to encourage a healthy and wellness aspect in their life. Uh, So please don't, please don't shut people out or label and leave them, leave them on the sidelines. They're just different than you are. That's awesome. Now, you have a book. You alluded to it a couple times during the show called The Other Side of Bipolar. Tell us a little bit about the book. How did you come to write the book? What is the What, what inspired you to write the book? I was working with a lot of life coaching clients. And every time that I shared something personal, not just like a tool for them to use, I just noticed that it changed more in them. And it wasn't even people who had mental illness issues. It was just people who were caregivers and didn't know how to take care of themselves in the midst of all the other stuff they were dealing with. Or people who've always felt like they were a little different or saw the world differently. And because of that, again, made themselves less than, not just realizing that they're different. And so when I started to see that, it sparked an idea of, I wonder what else I could share if I actually shared more of my own personal journey. So the book was really born from that of wanting to walk with people and transform them, how they see themselves in their own self-awareness and how they see the world. And if that could be more of an expansive generative one, so that again, that health and that wellness is actually more primary than any dis-ease or discomfort in themselves. And I'm assuming the book is available on Amazon or wherever we can mm-hmm. buy books. Oh, yeah. Amazon, libraries, Barnes and Nobles, all over the place. Yeah. Libraries are still a thing, by the way. I, I know. I, one of the things <laughs> that really annoys me is when people go, oh, I wish I could, because this is the 2020 is the year of personal development for me. And I tell people that and like, well, I wish I had money to buy books. I'm like, libraries are still free, dude. There's a library in every town. So I don't want to hear excuses. They have computers. They have books. So... No excuses. If you really want to learn about mental illness or productivity or whatever, you can go to library. There's free courses. So no excuses. Go pick up Lauren's book uh, at Amazon or wherever you buy your books. So Lauren, where can we find you online? You can find me at laurenpolly.com. All of my links to social media, some free gifts and a lot of uh, videos with added content are up there. I love it. Well, you have given us so much to think about, listener. I I don't want you, like I tell you every time, I don't want you to be a passive listener. I want you to take the things that Lauren talked about and 
next time you have a use for it, maybe you don't have anyone in your life that you know is suffering from mental illness. There is someone in your life that has mental illness. You just may not be aware of it. Just start putting some of the things he suggested into place and make sure you take care of your time. Make sure you're self-aware. It's really key. So, Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show today. You are a rock star. It was fun. I really love that quote she had. Difference doesn't make you wrong. Difference makes you brilliant. Love that. And uh, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, where you can sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge. You can find out about my course, my productivity coaching, and you can find out where I am on social media. Everything is at mrproductivity.com. And by the way, when you go there to mrproductivity.com, either click on the contact tab or connect with me on social media. The links are at the bottom of my page and say hello. What'd you think about this episode? What ideas do you have for future guests or future topics? I really want to hear from you, even if you've already reached out to me once twice, thrice, as they say in England, I really want to hear from you. So please don't be a stranger. Reach out to me, say hello, because I really care what you thought about the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, and then tell three of your friends. If you got value, if you're getting value from this podcast, tell your friends so I can help them as well. Thank you so much again for your time and attention for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.